Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey, ordained minister and chaplain JG Ministries, and I'm glad you joined us today for another episode of JG Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the 10th chapter of Luke, verse 38, and let's get into it. Now, last time we experienced Jesus's parable of the Good Samaritan, and Jesus's teaching is one of the most superb illustrations of human kindness in all of literature. And now we're going to finish chapter 10 with the story of Mary and Martha, and then we'll go ahead and begin chapter 11. Now, the home of Martha and Mary, back in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, Luke mentions several women who traveled with Jesus and the disciples, and they contributed to supporting them. In fact, even Peter's wife traveled with them. And now Luke tells about a woman who entered into discipleship, and once again, Luke portrays the way Jesus transcended the prejudices of his day. So let's go and begin with verse 38 here, chapter 10. And now it happened as he went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will be taken away from her. Now with verses 38 and 40, the Lord now centers his attention on the Word of God, and prayer as the two great means of blessing. Now, this unnamed village was undoubtedly Bethany, and we know this from John chapter 11, which was a town close to Jerusalem. And possibly Luke wants to reserve mention of Jesus's ministry in Jerusalem and its surrounding area till later. The way Martha is mentioned seems to be given her the role of a hostess. And it is Mary, however, who takes the place of disciple by sitting at the feet of the teacher Jesus. And we see this in verse 39. It was unusual for a woman in the first century Judaism to be accepted by a teacher as a disciple. And notice that Jesus is called Lord throughout this passage. Martha, on the other hand, was distracted. She had to work alone rather than sitting at Jesus' feet. So Mary sat at Jesus' feet. She hears Jesus' words, while Martha was distracted by her preparations for this royal guest. And Martha wanted the Lord to rebuke her sister for failing to help. And in verses 41 and 42, the Lord shows concern for Martha's anxiety, but Jesus tenderly rebukes Martha for her fretfulness. And the precise meaning of his saying in verse 42 can be difficult to ascertain. There is no explanation of what is better or a good thing, though the best interpretation probably is the kingdom of God. 
In comparison with the kingdom, household duties should have a radically diminishing demand on Martha. The word of the Lord has first claim, and for the disciples, an attitude of learning and obedience should take place first. The preceding narrative and parable establish the importance of priorities in the Christian life to heed the commands to love God and one's neighbor. And Martha must now learn to give the Lord and his word priority even over her service. And there are important human needs, whether of the victim in verses 30 to 35 or of Jesus himself, but what is most needed goes beyond even these. Our Lord prizes our affection above our service. Service may be tainted with pride and self-importance. Occupation with himself is the one thing needful. That good part, which will not be taken away. The Lord wants to convert us from the Marthas into the Marys, just as he wants to convert us from the lawyers to the neighbors that we saw in the Good Samaritan. And while the Lord does not appreciate all that we undertake for him, he knows that our first need is to sit at his feet and learn his will. Then in our task, we shall be calm and peaceful and kindly. And at last, our service may attain the perfectness of that of Mary, when in a later scene, she poured upon the feet of Jesus the ointment, the perfume of which still fills the world. So kind of to recap this section on Mary and Martha that is thought to have happened at the end of Jesus's great public campaign down the Jordan Valley with the 70 traveling ahead of him to announce his coming. He was now approaching Jerusalem, perhaps for the Feast of Dedication that we read about in John chapter 10. And Mary and Martha lived in Bethany. It was on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, and it was about two miles from Jerusalem. But this incident is recorded to show that Jesus thought that focusing on the word of the Lord and growing spiritually are far more important than all the busy work that we allow to get in a way of developing our relationship with God. Jesus wants us to put aside some of the things that fill our day so that we can rest quietly in his presence, abiding in him and in his word. And with that, we've finished chapter 10, and we're going to jump right into chapter 11 here. We're going to start the section on teaching on prayer, the disciples' prayer, or for them asking about prayer. And commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, here in Luke, it appears in connection with Jesus' own practices and teachings on prayer. And Luke offers a basic prayer to say that is characteristic of Jesus' teachings. And between chapters 10 and 11, there is a time interval, which is covered in John chapter 9 to John chapter 10, and keep in mind that this section may take us a couple of episodes to cover because this is a rich area 
And time should be given to this. And it's like I've always said, studying God's word is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And one needs to take the time to allow God's word to penetrate our hearts and to be absorbed for our own edification. So let's turn to our scriptures here. Chapter 11, verse 1. This is on the model prayer. And now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he sees that was decided, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. <clears throat> now in verse 1, once more Luke Jesus at prayer. Luke takes particular notice of Christ praying more than any other. Jesus's exemplary practice introduces the exemplary prayer. As God, he was and is prayed to as uh, prayed to. And as man he prayed, and though he was the son of God, he learned as a man on earth to be obedient to God. Jesus prayed when he was baptized, when he went into the wilderness, he prayed and he prayed continuing through the night. Jesus found in transfiguration. And Luke stresses this importance of prayer. And Jesus was and is the perfect example of the importance of prayer. And since prayer inevitably expresses one's theology, the prayers of the Jewish sects in the first century were distinctive. And this was true of John the Baptist. And Jesus responds to the request from one of the disciples with a model that provides words his, his disciples can use with the confidence that they express Jesus' own teachings. In mind, they waited till Jesus had finished prayer. They didn't interrupt him. They waited till he was finished before they asked. And the words, when you pray, that Jesus says in verse 2, imply frequent repetition of the actual prayer. There is another of the frequent references by Luke to the prayer life of our Lord. It fits in with Luke's purpose in presenting Christ as a son of man, ever dependent upon God his Father. The disciples sensed that prayer was a real and a vital force in the life of Christ. As they heard it, made them want to pray too. And so one of his disciples asked that he would teach them to pray. He didn't say, teach us how to pray, but teach us to pray. And however, the request certainly includes both the fact and the method. The disciples desired for Jesus to give them direction in prayer. They had an earnest desire to draw closer in faith. And Christ is always willing to teach, but we have to have a desire for his instruction. Lord, teach us to pray is in itself a prayer. And Jesus is the only one who can teach us to pray because it can be hard to pray well. Prayer is asking for the Lord to direct us of what to pray for so that we can serve God and carry out his will in our lives. It's asking for wisdom 
so that we can know what to say. And Jesus, although he was and is the Son of God, and claimed to have been in some respects equal with God, nevertheless appears to have felt himself utterly dependent on a power higher than himself during his life on earth. Jesus prayed a And as a side note, the Lord's Prayer, which is commonly known, is given in a somewhat longer form in Matthew chapter 6. It is likely that this prayer was meant to be a sort of a norm to guide us in our approach to God and in the subject matter of our petitions. Jesus put considerable emphasis on private prayer. This does not rule out participation in public prayer. We should never be ashamed to pray or give our testimony to our faith in prayer as occasion may demand. We should be on guard lest our thoughts are on the impression we are making on other people. Prayer is the expression of ourselves to God. It is a matter between ourselves and God. It's not, excuse me, it's not something to just talk about. And by far, the larger part of our prayer life should be absolutely private, so as to give ourselves no chance to fool ourselves as to our motives or to try and impress others as the Sadducees did. If we will... Um, Or, excuse me, after every important act or decision for guidance or strength or in thanksgiving, we should be in prayer to God before that. And we should never say anything about it to anyone. We should not let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. And sometimes not even our most intimate friends need to know all of our private prayers not even our husbands or wives, but let it be a strictly a matter between ourselves and God. If we do this often, positively to ourselves, and there's no other habit that will give us so much joy in life and strength for every one of our emergencies. We are then going through life hand in hand with an all-powerful friend, if you will, an all-powerful God whom we take into our confidence and we consult about everything, even the smallest detail. Prayer is one of the great laws of natural religion. God has given us a great design of Christianity in that he assists us in prayer. He enforces the duty of prayer on us, instruct us in it, and to encourage us to expect an advantage to us by prayer. And quickly, I want to cover verse 2 here before we run out of time. The word Father expresses the essence of Jesus' message and the effect of his atoning work on our relationship with God. Through the use of this intimate but respectful term of address, the Son of God expresses his own unique relationship to God. Through his atoning death on the cross, the Savior has brought about record, making it possible for us to become his spiritual children through the new birth. Now, while we cannot use the term father on an equal basis with Jesus, there is a sense in which both he and we may address God as such. And we see this in Romans chapter 8. The model prayer which the Lord Jesus gave to them at this time is somewhat different 
like I mentioned before in the Matthew's gospel, and we commonly call this the Lord's Prayer. But these differences all have a purpose and a meaning. None of them is without significance. And first of all, the Lord taught the disciples to address our Father. This intimate family relationship was unknown to believers in the Old Testament. And it simply means that believers are now to speak to God as to a loving Heavenly Father. And next, we are taught to pray that God's name should be hallowed. Now, this expresses the longing of the believer's heart that he should be reverenced, magnified, and adored. In the petition, Your Kingdom Come, we have a prayer that the day will soon arrive when God will put down the forces of evil and in the person supreme over the earth, where His will shall be done as it is in heaven. The next petition, Jesus prays that the glory and the reign of God may be realized soon. Just uh, Jesus came to announce and to bring in the kingdom. Though its consummation is still future, in his ministry, the kingdom was inaugurated in power. The petitions that follow are two kinds. The first petitions relate to God. The last three relate to us. Our name is an inscription of worship basic to all prayer forms in the Old Testament and in ancient Jewish prayers. It means let your name be regarded as holy. It's not so much a petition as it is an act of worship. The speaker by his words exalts the holiness of God. And God's people were told in the Old Testament to keep his name holy. And next time, the, the three petitions that are going to follow, they're closely connected with the Father and give a more distinctive character to the prayer as a whole. But we're going to get into that next time since we're running out of time. So until then, be sure to join me back for that. God bless you, and keep living Christian strong.